Welcome to the Portland Christian Center Podcast. This is the audio version of our live Sunday morning gathering. To view our live Sunday morning gathering, go to pcctoday.com. Come on, that mission trip sure looked amazing, didn't it? Fantastic. Aren't we thankful for Pastor Jason and Pastor Courtney and all they're doing? Courtney, all they're doing? You guys are amazing. All the students, great job. And thank you to everyone who helped support and made sure that was possible. And I don't know about you, but last Sunday was just amazing. All the baptisms that happened, people that got saved. I think we should give the Lord a shout of praise for that. Thank you, Jesus. Because that's really what it's all about. It's praising him and seeing lives transformed and changed. And I'm just so excited about what God's doing here at Portland Christian Center. But I also believe that God is on the move in Portland. I absolutely believe that. And, I, and one of the ways I know that is there's a lot of churches actually coming together called something, something called Together PDX 2023. And um, it's, it's just a few weeks away. And it's actually July 23rd on the waterfront. It's a Saturday. And there are over 40 churches serving Portland and lifting up the name of Jesus on the waterfront. How cool is that? And... I'm telling you that you are more than welcome to go and attend and PCC, different ones of us. Let's go up there, show up, show up loud, worship Jesus, have a great time. But really what it's about is sharing the love of Jesus everywhere we go. Everywhere you go, love people, pray for them, bless them. If there's people that are mean telling you to stop singing, say, I love you. I'm going to sing a little louder over here. Because we are there to bring the light and love of Jesus everywhere we go. And how many of us know that we are in this together? Because one of the things that we are going to do here at Portland Christian Center, just so you know, a little caveat, is that we are not going to condemn or go after other churches that preach the gospel. We're actually going to root for them. Because there are so many, so many people in Portland that we could fill up every church in Portland and we still wouldn't have enough churches. Did you know that? There's that many people. So competition, say out the window. Out the window. Some of us are working on that. Competition out the window. We are cheering for King Jesus to transform our city. Amen. And with that, we're so glad that you're here. Portland Christian Center is the place to be. PCC is an awesome church. And for all the guests, I met a lot of guests on the way in. We're so glad that you're here. And, and we're thankful on this 4th of July weekend for freedom. We are thankful for the freedom to be here, the freedom to preach, the freedom to stand on the Word of God and to boldly proclaim His Word and His truth. And if you're online with us, welcome. We're so glad that you're with us. Today, the people that are reading our chapter today in Romans, if you have your Bibles, be in Romans chapter 7. Um, we have Terry and Vi Bitework coming up. Would you welcome them? And they're going to read to us. And uh, it's going to be uh, fantastic. I'm so glad that you guys are ready to go. And aren't they great people? Portland Christian Center is filled with great people. And they, you guys are some of them. Did you know that? Uh, Pastor Jason, would you hand me a microphone? We just flew right by. Don't worry about it, Terry. You're good. Come on over. Come on over, Vi. Go ahead and set your, if that's okay, right there. And um, actually, would everyone, I know we just sat down. You just got comfortable. Would you stand in honor of God's word if you're able? If you're not able, that's okay. But if you're able, would you just stand and we're going to listen to God's word being read? Okay. Romans 7, chapter, verse 1. 
Do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law has authority over someone only as long as that person lives. For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law that binds her to him. So then, if she has sexual relations with another man while her husband is still alive, she is called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is released from that law and is not an adulteress if she marries another man. So, the brother, so my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. For when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us, so that we bore fruit for death. But now, by dying to what was once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in a new way of the Spirit, and not in the old way of the written code. What shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. For apart from the law, sin was dead. Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. I found that the very commandment that I was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me, and through the commandment put me to death, so that then the law is holy and the commandment is holy, righteous and good. Did that which is good then become death to me? By no means. Nevertheless, in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it used what is good to bring about my death, so that through the commandment sin might become utterly sinful. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate to do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that God, good itself, does not dwell in me that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is the sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God, who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself, in my mind, am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. Awesome. Great job. Thank you. Very good. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for your grace in our lives. Thank you for your word that is living, active, and sharper than any two-edged sword. I pray that it would touch our hearts. And as Paul said so clearly in the, in the scriptures we read, Father, it's all because of you, Jesus, that sets us free. What the law could not do, 
you did once and for all for us. And we thank you for it in your mighty name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Go ahead and, and find a seat. Find a seat. I have a question for you. Would you rather? Anybody like the game, Would You Rather? I love that game, Would You Rather? Another game I like is Whose Shoes? But uh, we'll not do that one because these shoes right here are going to stay on my feet. But the game, Would You Rather? Would you rather go to the movies or go to the dentist? Now, Oh, we have some dentists. Now, I know we have some dentists in our church, and we love you, and we're grateful for you. But most people, if they're honest, I think even dentists would agree that they would rather go to the movies. But there are times in our lives where we need dentists. I um, have a confession for you. I have knocked out this front tooth four different times. I know. All of them playing basketball. And I remember, I'll just tell you one in particular, I was playing in eighth grade and it was a little lower dunk hoop and I went to do a reverse dunk and I got my tooth caught in the net and when I came down, there it went, and it flew out. Fortunately, I was able to find my tooth and we put it in some milk and we went for, and the person in our church was my dentist, called him up. And he met us at the dentist's office about 9.30 that night, put it back in there, and the tooth is still here. Isn't that amazing? Yes, we'll cheer for that. That's great. But, you know, Dennis and me, I just, I don't know what it is. I've had many fillings. I've had crowns. Uh, I, you know, me and the dentist, we just spent a lot of time together. And, and there's just times when they'll, they'll talk to you and they'll say, oh, man, you know, we have this many cavities or this happening. And one time I remember I had a, I had a crack in my tooth. And he said, okay, it's time. We're going to have to do a root canal. Unfortunately, I'm very familiar with those. I think I've had four of those. And so I know, right? Like, but your poor teeth, right? Um, and so one of the things that, that they, they'll tell you is they say, this is what we need to do. And then they bring the lady over that does the insurance, and they'll say, now this is what it will cost you. Has anybody ever had your stomach just completely flip over at that moment? You're like, this is what it's going to cost me. And what, what I, the reason I'm telling you this is that there's a difference between having the right information and actually applying the information. You see, we don't suffer for lack of information. We actually languish for lack of application. As I'm speaking this message to you right now, you could be having your iPad or your cell phone and you could be fact-checking all kinds of information that I'm giving you today. For example, if I were to uh, ask you, how many laws did God give Moses? If you Google that on your phone right now, the answer you would get, 613 Jewish commandments. And it even would tell you about the mitzvah, which is a Hebrew word for all the laws God gave. Now, another one, this is kind of a fun one. What is the seventh commandment? Oh, come on. Somebody were Googling as fast as they could. All right, here's what it is. Exodus 2014, God gives us the seventh commandment. You shall not commit adultery. Here's another one I think is fun. Um, do you know... When and what was the very first Bible ever printed? 
1455, the Gutenberg Bible. I even have a picture for you of the Bible. And it should come up here, hopefully. There it is. 1455, that was the very first printed Bible that was released. Now, all of this stuff that I have given to you, this is information, right? Great information. But information without application brings no transformation. In fact, Paul is talking about this very thing. He's saying, I have these things in my life I don't want to do, but I do them. Can anybody relate? Three of us, okay. Just warming up the crowd a little bit. And we all have this war and tension in our lives, don't we? That we're like, man, I want to do what's right. I want to do what God has for me. I want to live this life. And, it, and if we're not careful, we can spend our lives falling in love with knowing about Jesus, but not actually knowing him because he's the one that brings transformation. You see, the Bible talks about this word sanctification. We've been talking about it over and over. It's this ongoing work of Jesus to make us more and more like him. And by the way, if you're still breathing, look at your neighbor say, are you breathing? <laughs> if you're still breathing, if you're still here, he's not done with you. No matter how old we are or how young we are, God is still at work in our lives transforming us to be more like his son, Jesus. And I want you to hear that because that's really good news. Because when you hear Paul's message, you might be thinking, oh man, there's no hope for me. Actually, there is hope for you. Here's why. The law diagnosed your problem, but it didn't set you free. The law lets you know you had a sin problem. So that's why you're at war with yourself because you're like, man, I have a problem. And everybody's like, yeah, we knew all this time. And you're finally aware of it. And the more you are around God, the more you pray, the more you allow the Holy Spirit into your life. You know what ends up happening? Sin becomes less tasty to you. And that's why Paul is so upset. He's like, man, this war in me is like, man, I'm more sensitive. My own and I were talking to our boys and we were playing a video game and a swear word came on. And we talked to Titus and we turned it off and he, and he was saying, you know, I hear those words at school. And we were like, yes, but that still doesn't make it okay. We want to have sensitivity to the Spirit, sensitivity to our words, sensitivity to what the Holy Spirit's doing, because we don't want to miss what he's up to. Because the more you are in love with Jesus, the more you encounter his presence, you actually become more sensitive. And you feel the things that break the heart of God. And you don't want that in your life. That's what Paul's saying over and over. And so once we know the problem, here's the truth. We realize how desperate our condition is. When my tooth was gone, I knew I had a problem. The scary thing is there are people walking around and it's like missing teeth, but they have no idea they have a problem. The Bible says that they exchange the truth of God for a lie. And I think we have to be careful in church that maybe there are things because we become so desensitized to it that we've made exceptions for things in our lives that if Paul was to look at you and say your life, he'd say, actually, you're doing things you don't want to do. 
And if you read Scripture and you read the law, here's what it says, verse 21. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. This is the dude that wrote most of the New Testament. What a wretched man I am. And why is he saying that? He's not beating himself down. He's not living in a life of, of, of victimization where he's saying, oh, poor is me, woe is me. What he's realizing is next to the righteousness of God, I'm way down here. Next to the beauty and glory of God, I'm nowhere even close. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? What is he saying? The law is not bad. The law points out what I need. But this is the big idea that I hope you write down this morning is this. Jesus makes all things new, not the law. I'm going to say that again. Jesus makes all things new, not the law. And listen to how he finishes verse 25. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. The law reveals sin. Jesus is the one that makes you new. The law points it out. And what Paul's saying, when I'm living in sin and I had no idea about what the law is saying, I could go on and do all kinds of things and I feel great. But the challenge is once you've seen the truth, you can't unsee it. Once you know it, there's this thing in the back of your mind that you know that I shouldn't be thinking this way. I shouldn't be doing that. I shouldn't be engaging in this. And I remember, and students, some of you here, as you go to public school or maybe you're going to college as you graduate, there will be things in your life when you've been raised in church and you've seen what God's doing, there'll be people that will start throwing things at you and they'll start saying, is God really good? Is what you learned really true? And they'll say, here's this idea. Here's that idea. Here's this philosophy. And what I want you to understand as you go into the world that the Bible has given you a clear road and a clear path and those who love it know the truth. And the Bible says that the truth will make you free. Never exchange the lie for temporary satisfaction with the truth of a glorious reward in heaven. The enemy always wants it to taste good at the beginning so that you think it's good. But by the time you start enjoying the nutrition of sin, it actually starts decaying your soul. Your greatest job, and James it says, to watch over your soul and that you would not be polluted by the world. That's your job. And so we must come back to Jesus. He's the one that transforms us, not the law. And when you receive Jesus, there are three new realities that happen in your life. I want you to write these down. The first reality that changes in your life, number one, is that you have new life. Say new life. He says, but now, but now by dying to once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not the old way of the written code. The written code. In the Old Testament, there was this moment, in, and it's in Deuteronomy, where God says to the Israelites, and it's called, it's, it's called the Shema. Say Shema. And it, here's what it means to hear. Listen up. And as I'm speaking, I, I want you to Shema. L say Shema. Shema. It means listen. Say listen. Listen. Here, here's what it's saying. 
Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be written on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses, on your gates. No, that is not permission to go to Hobby Lobby. Everyone's like, oh, no, we got to go shopping. We got to go right all over. Okay, if you need to go get some stuff, that's great. All the husbands and wives are like, oh, we're going shopping. Decor time. What, what is it saying? Love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And here's the challenge for all of us. Many people have a proclivity to love God with one or two, but they miss out on all four. Here's what I mean. There will be people that just love knowledge. And I love God with my mind. But they forgot to apply it to their bodies. They love God with all their heart. They have emotion. They'll dance and scream, yeah! And you ask them about the word of God and they have no idea what you're talking about. He didn't say love God with just my mind. He didn't say love God with just your strength. He said love God with everything that's within you. Why is that so important? Because people will rank God in their life like he's some sort of category, like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. God's number one. The Mariners are number two. I mean, my family's number two. Uh, my spouse, my job, my church. And they start ranking all these things. And, and here's what I, I, want, I want you to hear from me. When you receive Jesus, he is not number one in your life. He is your life. When you receive Jesus, he's not number one. You are not his fan. You are his follower. You've surrendered everything. It is no longer I who live, but Christ in me. That gives you new life and it changes everything. And what many people miss right there is not only do you get a new life, but the second thing you get, this is so important, I hope you have this down, is you actually have a new battle to fight. And as a, as a pastor, I think it's so important that I, I equip our people to understand that when you raise your hand and you come down and you, and you receive Christ as your Savior, you have a new battle on your hands. You just switch teams. So a couple of things you got to know is you need to get baptized, okay? You need to tell the world, I'm following Jesus, right? Second thing is we have something called starting point. You need to get into the class. You need to figure out what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We offer that on a regular basis. And then you need to get in a group. Why? Because isolation is exactly what the enemy wants to do to throw you off so that you won't be in community and live who God, and that's how God calls you to live. Because if he can get you alone, then he can get you away from the fire of what God's doing in your life. You have a new battle. And we can't sit by and thinking, oh, the enemy's not trying to attack me. He actually is trying to steal, kill, and destroy you. In verse 15, he says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. There is a battle for your soul. New life comes with a new battle. 
God designed you to have a new life that looks beautiful and clear like this water. Mm. Some of you right now are wishing you had your own water bottle. But one of the things we got to watch out for is we live in a culture that thinks that you can add anything to anything. There's a word called syncretism. And what it means is, is that cultures and especially religion, you can take Christianity. This is supposed to be a pure water of Christianity. Like this is a Christian life. Mm. That's exactly what God made you to be. But then someone walks around and they say, oh, but you can, and, 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 and I'm going to give you, this is actually real examples I'm going to say to you. On Instagram, there's a person that calls himself the Christian witch. Not joking. You can look it up later. Fact check me later. And so they try to add their life and their theology. And they think they can do whatever they want. I like Jesus. I like witchcraft. Now, I got to be careful. This is Nate's honey, by the way. I'm not endorsing it, but it's got a good name. <laughs> and then here's what, what does honey taste like? Sweet. Tastes good. That's exactly what the enemy wants you to think. When you start adding things to the gospel, you start mixing what God meant to be pure and holy in your life. Do you know how it starts? A whisper. Something soft, something silent, something quiet. A compromise here, a belief here. Did Jesus really say? Did God really say? Think about it. In the Garden of Eden, how did the serpent tempt Eve? And Adam, who, by the way, was right next to her. Oh, hello. He's supposed to guard and protect. He's standing right there and serpent's saying, did God really say? He could have spoke up at any time for all those that want to throw Eve under the bus. Here's the truth. When we question what God really said, we're beginning the slow move towards doing what God said not to do. And that's what it says. You are to be called out as salt and light to the darkness, not to look like the darkness. Then comes something even crazier, hand sanitizer. And wh why, did I, why did I bring up hand sanitizer? It's because people love a form of godliness, but they have no power. You see, they want to be clean. They want to live like they can do anything else. I'm clean, I'm clean, I'm clean. And they dump this into their life, but then, oh, look what I did on social media. Oh, look what I did at the bar last night. Look what I did with some people I shouldn't have done. I said I shouldn't have adultery, but, you know, I did. I, I looked at pornography again. I, I got drunk again. I'm doing all these things, I'm doing all these things, and I come and I'm, I'm sanitized, I'm sanitized, I'm good, I'm good, I can add these beliefs, all these different things. And then we put it together. And what ends up happening is you become something you were never designed to be. You see, this is nothing new. What cracks me up is I, as I'm saying this, I've talked to different people, and they're like, wow, we got a real problem in today's culture. Today's society is radically messed up. I'm like, have you not read the Old Testament? When Daniel 
was in exile. He got put in front of the king's court. And he's saying, you got to worship these gods. You got to eat like us. You got to look like us. And you know what he said? Give me fruits and vegetables and we'll see who looks better. You see, when you follow Jesus, you always stand out. It's a new battle. Some of us here today, the Holy Spirit is about to do work in your heart because you're recognizing there are things that you've been compromising, you've been adding to your faith. Witchcraft, I'm just going to tell you right now, has no place in the kingdom of God. It's called a counterfeit to the real thing. If you're messing around with Ouija boards, if you're messing around in the dark realms, and here's the thing as a church, please don't be afraid. Jesus already conquered death, hell, and the grave. He has all authority. We're not afraid. But what we are called to do is say, this is wrong and this is right. This is not God's plan for your life. This is God's plan for your life. Why? Because we are to be a fragrant offering, a sacrifice to God and a light to the world that says, hey, your life, the way that you're adding it in, God is not one of the many spokes to heaven. Jesus said it so clearly, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. There's only one way. So as we're in the world, my prayer is, is that we look more like this than like this. And if you're still not convinced, I'll give you a drink after service. <laughs> Ephesians 6.12 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of the heavenly realms. It's a real war. It's a real battle. It's a new battle. That's why some of us need to develop our spiritual muscles and learn how to pray. Maybe get off Facebook and pray more. Maybe spend more time in your closet with Jesus. I'm like, what, what, what does that mean? Jesus said, go into your prayer closet and pray. Then your heavenly Father will hear you in secret and reward you. That's what God's called us to do. To live a life of purity. And here's the truth, what I found. It doesn't matter how young or old we are, Satan's always trying to get after us. No matter how long you walk with Jesus, Satan's always trying to get you to, to do something different. And here's what I want you to recognize. You have a new battle. It may just look different. We forget sometimes that gossip is one of the things God hates. Talking ill about people. Oh, I just want to tell them. Of course you do. It feels good. Sin always feels good at the moment. But God is saying, I have something else for you. I want you to have life. I want you to speak the truth in love. And I want to correct one, one last thing as we're talking about this new battle. There's this thing in Christianity where people are like, man, I gave up drinking. I gave up partying. Now I go to church. I love God. It's just great being a Christian. It's so good. Oh, what a heavy load. I mean, I gave up so much to love God. The money I gave up, you wouldn't believe it. The cars, everything. Let, let's just get it real clear. Whatever you think you gave up to get Jesus, Jesus is way better. Like it's 10 million billion times better anything the world could offer you. 
Don't ever think that what you gave up is not a trade-up. Jesus is the greatest trade-up you will ever have in your life. Always. And then maybe she's more clapping for that, but that's okay. I'll try and say it better later. Why? Jesus makes all things new, not the law. The diagnosis never sets you free. Jesus sets you free. The last thing, the reality that changes, so you get a new life, you get a new battle, and you have a new purpose. You have a new purpose. I was talking to some parents at one of Titus's basketball games, and the parent said, our children are our purpose. And I thought, wow, that's really interesting. That sounds like ranking God again, doesn't it? If kids are my purpose, what are we unintentionally saying? That my joy, my peace, my love, my freedom, they're all tied into how my kids are doing. When my kids are up, I'm up. When my kids are down, I'm down. Now, I understand as a parent, we love our kids, we care for them, but don't get it twisted. What did the Shema say? What are we supposed to hear, O Israel? Lord our God, Lord our God, love him above all. Good things become God things when they take the place of God, even your children. I know that's not like a popular message to hear. Like, like, what are you saying about my kids? I love my kids. Of course we love our kids. But do you not realize that you set your kids up for failure if you make them a God in your life? We have a society and a culture right now where kids are struggling just to function and work a job because they're not the greatest ever to do it. I can't make a latte better than my coworker. I'm going home. <laughs> that two-hour shift took it out of me. <laughs> and why? We laugh. It's true. It's so funny. But as parents, isn't that our fault? Grandparents, isn't that our fault? We gave them 75 trophies before they were two. You stood up today, yes! Gold medals, everybody. And, and why, am I, why am I saying all that? I, I want you to laugh, but, but there's a seriousness to this. Because when we don't demonstrate that we love God more than anything else to our family, to our kids, to our friends, We've lost our purpose. We were in a board meeting, and we have amazing board members, by the way. And I got permission to tell this story. But we were talking about our purpose as a church. What are we really here for? And we started talking about a bunch of different things. And I'll never forget the look on Arnie Burley's face. I love Arnie because when you talk to him, he's, he's kind of calm, he's well-mannered. But I found something out about Arnie that I didn't know. That man passionately loves God. Because out of nowhere in the meeting, he goes, our purpose is to glorify God. Like he almost shouted in the room. And I was like, yes, Arnie, that's right. That's our purpose. Don't get it twisted. New life in Jesus transforms you, not the law. Not knowing all of the right things, not doing all the right things, not all that stuff. It's, it's Jesus. It's glorifying Him. And what I'm praying for today 
is that all of us would just get a glimpse of Jesus today because he'll give you a new life. He'll help you with your new battle. Somebody like, man, I've been fighting this battle for a long time. He will help you. Because some of us here, man, you need some hope today because you're tired. This battle that you've been fighting has been a long one. It's a long war. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Always trust God's word over your experience. Always trust God's word over your experiences. He's here to set you free. And he's here to give you a new purpose. Would you stand with me? We're going to get ready to respond in just a moment with worship. And I can't think of anything better to do on this Independence Weekend than to glorify God. But here's my, here's my, my prayer. Is there something inside of you that's starting to stir the Holy Spirit saying, I need that kind of passion like Arnie has? Where it doesn't matter what style of song is being sung, on key, off key, lasers, smoke, tasers, phasers, whatever, azers, I don't know. Whatever's happening on stage, it doesn't even matter. King David was running through the, st- the streets naked, dancing. He said, I'll become even more undignified before the Lord. And his wife, Michael's up in this, up in this tower saying, look at this pathetic king making himself like a fool. And he said, I'll do that even more for my God. You can make fun of me. You can laugh at me. You can condemn me. But I am not going to stop worshiping God. Because it starts here, and then we take it out there. The world needs us to be full of Jesus. We gave an, we gave an altar call, or we asked people if you needed to ask Jesus into your heart already today for salvation. But here's the thing. If you want to receive Jesus as your personal Savior, like, man, maybe not sure or whatever, today's your day. Today's your day. If you're like, man, I need this Jesus. I need new life. I need a new battle. I need a new purpose. If that's you today, would you just raise your hand? I want to pray for you right, right there. Anybody here that needs Jesus? Maybe online. Are we okay in the house? All right. Maybe you're online. That's great. Maybe people raise their hand earlier. Here's the thing. After this, we're going to worship. I'm going to come stand right over there by that mic. If you need Jesus, I would love to meet you. Walk up and say hi to me. I'll lead you to Jesus, okay? But I, wanna, I want you to hear something as we get ready to sing, because this is a brand new song to our church. And it's called Back to Life. And here's some words I want you to hear. No longer I who live, but Christ in me. For I've been born again, my heart is free. The hope of heaven before me the grave behind. Hallelujah! You brought me back to life. Anybody thankful that Jesus brought you back to life? Is there anybody thankful? Anybody thankful that he brought us back to life? Come on. The lady who sang this, I I hope I don't say her name wrong, Zaira Zachary, she said this about the song. When Jesus called Lazarus to come out of the grave, declaring him to have been dead long enough, he was showing us his amazing ability to bring dead things to life with a new purpose. We have all wandered through life and spiritual death without fully comprehending God's, God's purpose 
for our lives. Even if we knew about the gospel, some of us may have not understood the true purpose of our faith. That's it. Jesus has come to bring you from death to life. Don't we owe him our lives, our worship, our adoration? Would you lift your hands? We love you, Jesus. We worship you, Jesus. If you want to come down and worship, you can. We're going to just take a few moments at the end of the service. And we're just going to worship him. Just like Arnie said, our purpose is to glorify you, God. We glorify you, Jesus. We worship you. Hallelujah, Lord. And I pray right now as we sing these songs that you would bring us from death to life. No longer I who live, but Christ in me. In Jesus' name. Let's sing this together. Thank you for listening to the Portland Christian Center Podcast. If you'd like to hear more or learn more about us, visit our website at pcctoday.com or join us online for our live stream at 1030 at live.pcctoday.com. Thank you.